Hello and welcome to 20 Tim Minutes, a podcast that focuses on mental health in a serious but yet humorous way. Listen as I interview a wide variety of guests where we show our support as well as sharing our own personal struggles and stories with mental health. I am your host, Tim McCarthy, and now it's time to talk about it. Hey, what's going on, everybody? You're tuning into another episode of 20 Tim Minutes. I am your host, Tim McCarthy. Today, I have on CEO, keynote speaker, a self-hypnosis instructor, performing artist, and TED Talk speaker, Holly Ann Mitchell. Holly, how the hell are you? What up, what up? <laughs> I'm doing good. That is great. I love this spooky season. You're a big spooky season type person. What's the best costume that you've worn before? Oh, I was a mime once and nobody knew it was me. <laughs> wow. And you didn't talk or what? Did you go? No, full- I didn't talk. I just like danced my ass off, but I was full white makeup, a black Uma Thurman type crop wig and nobody knew it was me. It was so fantastic. I, I feel like mimes low-key scare me and frustrate me. It's like going up to them like, hey, can you give me directions? And they're like, it's, uh, that's, a, that's a crazy costume. I like it, though. I like it. Um, spooky season is upon us. Are you one of those people that love Hocus Pocus? Yeah. Yeah. You know, I loved scary movies when I was growing up because I had anxiety and whenever I would watch a scary movie, I felt like if I could survive the movie, somehow it made me more resilient and stronger. Hey, every horror movie, I'm like, I would have died at the opening credits. I'd be that guy. Um, I was in a horror movie in college. What horror movie? What's the name of it? It was an independent film called what have they done with grandma oh that sounds like and a goosebumps book <laughs> it does <laughs> so grandma's a retired serial killer and we're a group of delinquents and we break into this house that we think is empty to like have to party you know do drugs and have sex because if you have sex in a horror movie you're always dead yeah 100 so my character's death scene was when grandma comes out of serial killing retirement and wreaks havoc on these kids And it was December when we shot it. So it was freezing cold. I'm in like a wife beater tank and underwear. And I'm running down into the garage to hide because, you know, always go into the dark places. And she sicks her dog on me to attack and kill me. Now, the way that we shot this, because we didn't have any money, is... They introduced me to the dog. This is Hercules. It's this huge dog, black yeah. dog. I'm like, nice to meet you. They put cheese all over my body so that Hercules would eat the cheese. So I straight up made out with this dog for like an hour and a half. He my head was in his massive mouth. And then they put the sound effects in later. So that was my horror movie 
career. <laughs> it's uh, it's unfortunate you weren't nominated for Best Kiss at the MTV Movie Awards. Uh, that's uh, that's a no, big shame. Kidding. But back to Hocus Pocus. Not a fan of it. I think Ernest Scared Stupid is by far the best uh, Halloween movie. But I'm just very biased of Ernest. Hocus um, Pocus is great. Sarah Jessica Parker is amazing. Come, little children, I take the away. So that's the part of you uh, performing artists. So that's that one's a fact. <laughs> but you're in you're in a bit of a reinvention. We just talked about this because we met before this, went over a bunch of notes, and we just was like, you know what? Let's scrap it. Let's start from the beginning because. You uh you were in a transition. That's great. Your TED Talk was just recently, right? Yeah, I finished my TED Talk, which was a huge bucket list moment. And while I was preparing, you know, I got the call, you're going to give this TED Talk. And I thought to myself, okay, you're going to get this opportunity. You have 15 minutes to share your story of what your life is and has been and the legacy that you want to leave behind if i were to die and this is the 15 minute message that i leave the world what am i gonna say and i really went there and it was like having a near-death experience because my whole life and all of the moments flashed before my eyes and i was legit in bed for three days after asking myself this question, like I was sobbing, you know, it was me, the bed and a journal because something was breaking through. And I had this realization coming out of it that if I didn't return to my passion, to what I love, that I was going to regret it the rest of my life. What do you love? I love the arts. I have been singing since before I could talk and I was always an actor. It's the only thing I ever wanted to do when I was a kid. And I got the opportunity to go to New York City. I got accepted into NYU's Tisch School of the Arts for musical theater and got to have that childhood dream realized. And then it all fell apart when I was 22. Yeah, let's talk about that because where you are now is uh, light years from when you were uh, years ago. Um, you were born in a dark place. You're unhappy. You're unhealthy. So talk about that a little bit, Where uh, how that stemmed from before all this uh, success that you have. You know, I always had a panic disorder. It was something that really challenged me as a child. When I would wake up in the middle of the night, I'd have these thoughts on a loop. Like, what if both my parents died? Or what if I got cancer? And these horrible thoughts, and I would cry, and I couldn't turn them off. And I didn't really know what was happening to me, because if you don't have anything to compare yourself to, how do you know that what, yeah. what's going on inside of your head? And I had this panic disorder called vasovagal syncope, which is anxiety-induced fainting. So whenever I would get nervous or upset, I would pass out. And it was very inconvenient. <laughs> You're like one of those fainting goats. You ever seen those where they just faint? <laughs> exactly. Ah! That's yeah, what you got to be for goat. Halloween, a fainting goat. <laughs> Bring it throwback. <laughs> I'm going to send you a picture. <laughs> please, please. Oh, man. So I, I just like kind of worked around it. And for some strange reason, being on the stage never made me nervous. So that was the one place I could be myself. 
um, I, I always felt like kind of a black sheep, kind of somebody who didn't fit in or get along with other kids. And so I was sort of a loner and lived in my own world. But the theater was where I felt like I belonged. And so that state, the stage never made me nervous. So I worked around this panic disorder. And then when I was 22, I just graduated from the most prestigious art school in the country. And I was about to go to this audition, a showcase in front of casting directors and agents, which is a really big deal because you can kind of showcase your goods for opportunities and representation. And I woke up on that morning and I had a panic attack and I fainted and I called and I told them I had food poisoning. Mm. I wasn't going to be able to make the audition. And I just froze. I just froze. What made you say that you had a food poisoning instead of passing out? I don't know. I was so embarrassed by it. Like stage fright, an actor, like seriously, like I, I, it didn't, it didn't seem like something I could own up to. And it took me about six months to run out of money. And then I became homeless, sleeping on couches. And that was really the darkest point of my life because everything that I had worked so hard for got myself out of a really small town and achieved so much in school it was all just gone and I and I had this moment where I was lying on a couch in Queens in the middle of the summer sweating my ass off (laughs) there was no AC and I was like well I could end my life or I could figure out something else that I can do. And I spent that whole night awake thinking about different careers. And I said, well, I think I'm going to be a dentist. What made you think of just being a dentist? You were just like, you know what, this, this is going to work for me. I, I want to work on teeth. It was very practical, actually. You know, I'd, I'd been through a lot of orthodontics when I was growing up and I knew that dentists made a lot of money Mm -hmm. and I was really good at math and science in school and you know being a doctor I I didn't really want to be in hospitals because I that was one of my triggers for my anxiety was hospitals would make me faint so I was like well I could be a doctor but work on teeth what a (laughs) perfect place to faint what a perfect place to faint at at a hospital though you know well, my mom was a nurse, so she was horrified and embarrassed by all of it. <laughs> embarrassed about your kid. That's that's great. <laughs> you know, my mom is my mom is my best friend, but when we when I was young, she didn't know how to deal with my emotions. And I think that they scared me. That that they scared her. My father struggled with mental illness, and I think that she saw my father's characteristics in me that I was out of control of my own body. And so, you know, she didn't really understand how to react or respond to hers was, you know, suck it up, get over it. Stop being a drama queen was one of the things that she would say. Um, And it really wasn't until I was an adult that she finally understood me. But one thing that my mother really got right was she got a lot of things right but one thing that was really important was she recognized that I had this passion and so she did everything that she could to support me in the in the arts she took me to every audition she she was a great stage mom that's a that sounds like a great mom I think that the uh, toughen up 
is like just an old school method back in the day. And it, it was like, they didn't know that that really affected people. And then once you learn about it, cause we, we all learn even like parents, like they, they have their old ways, but they're like, Oh shit. Like this is uh this isn't working for this new generation. Well, I think that still exists, but it's in a oh, different yeah. packaging. Right. So my mom was a military, came from military family. So that like, you know, be tough kind of thing was, was in her. But now I think what it is, instead of like, suck it up, be, be tough, uh, keep calm, carry on that stiff upper lip. Now it's think positive, think positive, be grateful. Go to the gym. Go to the gym. It's not that hard. Right. And so we have like this, this positivity uh, crisis that we're facing where, where people see the, Instagram reel of how we're supposed to feel and live, right? Super happy, vital, positive all the time. And that's just not realistic. Yeah. You got to show the good with the bad. And uh, you obviously agree with that. You got to balance and harness that that negativity. Um, and how do you do that? It's not easy. It's not easy. You know, I, I think that I found that anxiety can be really great fuel for motivation. <laughs> So uh, I'll give you an example. So I wake up in the morning and I think about all the things that I have to do in the day. And then I think, what happens if I don't do them? (laughs) Well, I don't want to disappoint these people. I don't want to lose all this money. I don't want to get fat, (laughs) you know? So I think about all of the consequences of not doing the things I need to do. And then I use all of that anxiety as fuel to go out and be really productive. (laughs) I do that in a way... Where I, if I have anxiety, I try to harness it in a way of like, this is going to be really funny later. It's going to be a great story. Oh yeah. I love that. Cause what you're doing is you're taking your human experience and you're turning it into art. And, And that's something that Freud talked about as it's called sublimation. It's taking unwanted feelings and emotions and experiences and turning it into something positive that benefits the world. I always say, allow your shit to become your fertilizer to help you and others to grow. Put that on a t-shirt. I would, uh, I would, I would wear that. That's uh, that's a great one. I like that a lot. You better, you better trademark that one. Um, that's fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> now to back up just a little bit, how does someone go from being homeless to getting into dentistry? Like how was that transition? Like financial wise or like just going into that? Like who were you staying with? You staying like friends, strangers, family, like, like who helped a little bit? Yeah. I was staying with people from my church who were very generous until I overstayed my welcome. Right. But I found this boarding house in New York city for women and it had a bed and a sink and bathrooms down the hall and breakfast every day. So that was really, really affordable. And so I called my grandmother and I asked her if she would give me basically the first month so that I could figure it out. And she graciously did. And so I'm, I know not everybody has somebody that they can phone in those types of circumstances, but I did. And I was able to get back on my feet, but that was when I called around to get jobs at dental offices because a friend of mine was like, well, if you want to be a dentist, which by the way, you're nuts, but if you want to, you can go and work in a dental office and see if you like it. So I was studying for my dental exams And I called a bunch of offices. Nobody wanted to hire me because I had no experience. But I convinced somebody to hire me for free. 
I was like, look, just train me to do whatever you want. And then you can pay me after you've trained me. That's ballsy. Yeah. I mean, what did I have to lose? I didn't have anything. Right. So that's really the first job that I had after college. And I ended up becoming CEO of that same company eight years later. Oh, yeah. That's just casual. Start off for uh, working for free, uh, free labor and just be like, yeah, you know what? I'm going to climb this ladder and take over this this company. That is uh, that's not easy. I feel like I would never talk to anyone else like that. Um, so what did you start off with? You start off like a receptionist or what? Was, I started what did you... off the receptionist. And then two weeks later, he called me into his office, the owner of the practice. It was a tiny little dental office at the time. And he said, uh, what do you know about marketing? I really need to see a lot more new patients grow my practice. And I was like, nothing yet, but I will figure it out. Just make me your marketing director. And we doubled the practice in size in a year. And I think going back to sublimation, you know, having, losing your identity, right? Because at the time being an actor was who I was. And I had all of this pain from losing who I was. And I felt like I didn't really have a reason to be on the earth anymore. And so I needed to prove that my life had value. And so I was going to make that happen in a career that helps other people. And so I took all of that fear and pain and sadness and despair, and I channeled it into extreme motivation and a little bit of workaholism, to be honest. Yeah, how many? You probably didn't get much sleep. Uh, that it, you're like a superhero, by the way. You just ha- you like take it and just harness it. So you like all the negativity that is bo- uh, thrown upon you. You're like, you know what? I'm gonna switch this up and uh, just become a CEO of uh, practice. So that's a- so like you became the CEO. So like you just took the whole thing over. Like how like how does that work? Like are you still the CEO of this of this operation? No. So I became the marketing director and then we added locations and I started managing operations. And then the doctor actually at the time had a health crisis, the owner doctor, the owner of this group. And so he had to go on a health sabbatical for like three months. And he basically said, uh, it's, it's in your hands, right? Take care of the business. And he left And then in that three months, we doubled in profitability. So when he came back, uh, after he saw what had happened under my leadership, he said, oh, okay, uh, I think you're doing this better than me. So I'm going to let you run the biz. And so I have this amazing leadership team that that I had developed. We were learning and growing together of, of incredible women all around me and so when it was time for me to go on my entrepreneurial journey, because I, I needed to keep growing and I knew that if I stayed there, that I would stop growing and I would become resentful. So once that feeling of being stuck and feeling a little bit resentful of my job started to happen, I was like, okay, it's time for me to move on. That's the best thing for me. And it's the best thing for the business. So I gave him three months notice and made sure that the leadership team was fully capable of continuing on the legacy that we had started. I, I can't even comprehend like how, how you do that. When was there a, when was it, what moment in your life and that whole transition that you like, wow, things are like looking up and like uh, everything behind me is now like officially behind me and I can focus on the future. Did you have any moment that you realized that? 
that I realized that like that everything changed from behind you. Like you were doing great in life. You were like all this, like being homeless is behind me. Don't have to worry about that. When was like, like being a receptionist, getting paid for free. You were like, Oh, I'm doing, I'm doing great. Like, did you envision being a CEO of a company or like in that transition, when you got there, you were like, I'm, I'm doing great. I'm doing what I should be doing. No, I don't think I ever realized I was doing great to be honest. Do you know you're doing great now though? I think I'm doing great. Okay. Okay. You- <laughs> but the the reason that I'm doing great is because I am living in what's true for me now. So, you know, I was I was working so hard to prove that my life had meaning and value. And that was a blessing and a curse. It was a blessing because it gave me so much energy to pour into things. But it also was like a bucket that had a hole in it, right? Because the more energy that I poured in, it would continue to to fall. There was there was no there was bottomless. It was bottomless, and so that feeling of I'm not enough yet, I haven't done enough yet, really led me all the way to. It it led me to start my own business. It led me to start another business. It it led me to start a nonprofit. Um, It it you know, it was like, okay, what else do I need to do to prove to the universe that I belong here? And it really wasn't until this summer where I had this experience prepping for this TED talk and this awareness that, oh, that's the hero's journey. It's always been inside of you. You've always been enough. You just have to be brave enough to live the life that's in your heart today. Not like, Build the life that you want to live and it's going to happen in 10 years, but live the life that you want to live today. And it requires a lot of courage and a lot of compassion to be honest with yourself and then tell that to other other people. Yeah. How much sleep do you, what is your sleep patterns like? How do you fit all this into your days? I'm such a good sleeper. So my grandmother's 101 years old. She's from Boston. Oh, no way. Yeah. My my grandmother says pack the car and oh, yeah. mashed potatoes. Mashed potatoes? I, ma- I feel like I say mashed potatoes. potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> she, where in Boston is she from? Jesus. Uh, Brookline. Oh, okay. Great, yeah. great area. Good for her. So my grandmother's 101 years old. And if you if you were to ask her what's her secret, she sleeps so good every single night and she always has so i go to bed at like 9 30 and then i'm up at 5 30 every day sunday to saturday every single night that's my sleep schedule and so i i try to take care of my preserve my energy and continue to take care of my body because that's really the vessel from which all of this creative energy comes from I need to talk to her to figure out my sleep schedule because I am I am scared now because I, I sleep like a house cat where I'll sleep for a couple hours, wake up, run around, clean myself, and then go back to bed. Um, yeah, that's... Uh, I've got a sleep hypnosis if you want. I'll send it to you. Please. That would be great. And that's a great segue. Perfect. Look at this. So you are a self-hypnosis instructor, which uh, let's talk about that a little bit. How did that happen? How did you get into that? So my second crisis of mental health happened when I was 29 years old. So I was at the height of my financial success and I was working seven days a week. So I was managing this group of dental offices and then 
on my days off, I was flying around the country and speaking and sharing what we were doing, working as a consultant for other businesses. I was working nonstop around the clock and my body started to shut down. I started to have panic attacks again. I started to have severe back pain and I felt like my brain was broken. I felt like I had fallen down a well and I was looking up and I could remember what it was like to be me, but I couldn't reach her. And so I was like, oh, I think my brain is broken because this wasn't just like one day. This was like a, a, a full experience of being, you know, I'd put right. on my lipstick and go to work and smile, but underneath I was suffering. And so I was reading a book at the time called Awaken the Giant Within by Tony Robbins. And I was like, what does Tony Robbins have that I don't have? What does he know that I don't know? So I went on, you know, a Google trip and found out that he learned neurolinguistic programming and hypnosis. And I was like, well, I'm going to go learn that. So I took all my vacation time. I took three weeks off of work to go try to fix my brain and enrolled in a level one neurolinguistic programming class and learned this incredible concept that everything that had held me back in my life wasn't me. It was my nervous system making a mistake based on trauma, genetics, and my crazy vagus nerve, but that you could train your brain just like an athlete can train their muscles. You can train your brain to self-regulate back into a place where you feel like yourself again. And that was just mind blowing to me because I didn't un- I didn't understand there was another way to be. I thought, oh, I'm just an anxious person yeah. or I'm just like a hyper emotional person. But no, like you can train your brain to feel better. And I went to see a hypnotist at the time because I had a phobia, a phobia that I'd had my entire life, something that always triggered my fainting. And it was a phobia of vomit. Now, at some point in my life, I would like to have children. And I realized, oh, they, they vomit. Oh yeah. A lot. <laughs> yeah. I heard that about babies. Well, can you imagine I'm burping a baby and then fainting on the, like, it's not going to work. No, you, can't faint. <laughs> you have a bunch of pillows strapped to your back and just go right back down holding the baby. So that would be the most safest route. So just like seeing people vomit, you vomiting, uh, Dogs vomiting, like that would just all just be like, oh, not dogs. Funny enough, I don't know, not dogs, but other people, uh, movies, anybody saying, oh, I don't feel so good. Like I'm like, Wah! right, like my yeah. nervous system would just go crazy. Yeah, oh yeah, that would always set me off. Even the word, right, the words. So I went to see her, and she cured me in one session from this phobia that I had my whole life, and I knew because I went home after the session. And I put on an episode of Grey's Anatomy and like 50% of the time medical shows, like somebody's going to throw up yep. and that's exactly what happened. And then I was like sitting there and I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm okay. And I called her and I was like, what did you just do to me? And she's like, it's, it's not sorcery. It's neuroscience. And I'm happy to give you resources. And I was like, I want to learn how to do this. It was just something I was fascinated by. And she's like, oh, I actually train hypnotists. Do you want to enroll in my my program? So I enrolled in hypnosis school. 
and I became a hypnotist. And it was always just a weird hobby that I did on the side for my friends and myself because I just thought it was the coolest freaking thing. Do you think she uh, hypnotized you to go to that school? She was like, you should come to my school. And she just got you in there, but it it It, turned out good. It turned out great. I mean, she might have, but I'm really glad that it happened because it changed my brain forever. Yeah, that sounds like it. But one session, like what is she doing to you in that in that session to to rewire your brain? If you can give a quick synopsis of that. Yeah. So if you think about how the brain is rewired, the brain is rewired through intensity and repetition. That's it. So you can create any habit if you are intense enough and and repeated enough you can change your brain. You can change the architecture of your brain. So, you know, when, when trauma happens in the brain, uh, if you look on the surface of the neuron, there are these little soldiers and they stand at attention. So we've got these soldiers on, on top of the neuron. And when trauma happens, there's a, there's a cement that binds them into place. It's made out of a protein. So you've got these little soldiers and they're standing at attention. And when trauma happens in the brain, they never go off duty. They're always looking out. They're always looking out because in your brain, next to the amygdala, the fight or flight center, you have this hippocampus, which is the journalist inside of your brain. And it's taking notes every time something bad happens. What were you seeing, hearing, touching, tasting, feeling, right? How are you breathing? What was around you? And so it's going, oh, this is bad. Oh, this is really bad. And it's taking all these notes. So that's how trauma gets created inside of the brain. Now, in order to heal from these trauma triggers, you have to get these soldiers to go off duty. They have to go back inside of the cell. Now, the way that that happens is you have to get change the architecture of the brain by rewiring a new pathway. But you can also create an enzyme in your brain that eats the protein cement and sucks the soldiers back inside the cell. <laughs> it sounds low key kind of scary, and I wonder if people use it can use it for evil. That's like my second like superhero reference, but that just uh, I think I think we need a session. Do you have to do it in person, or can we can we have a oh, Zoom you can, set? You can do it on Zoom. Yeah. Okay, we're gonna set something sure. up down the road because I wouldn't say I'm skeptical behind it because I'm always on the fence with things. I always give something a chance, and obviously something like this, you probably get a lot of skeptic skepticism is that how you say that word yeah um, skepticism so uh, let me ex- let me deconstruct like what hypnosis is okay? perfect so tell tell me what you think of when you hear the word hypnosis i think of like the like eyes spinning where the person puts the thing in front of your face and you're just because there was like a um hypnotist that would come around he was like the not the sex hypnotist but he was like the rated r hypnotist and he would like hypnotize people to do like stupid things in front of everybody and i just was like i think everyone's pretending because i went up there to try to get hypnotized and like it didn't work for me so that's when my skepticism started but again i feel like that is like a gimmick in a way where like yours is probably uh in a more professional setting well there's some truth to it right and you know i'm i'm sure like put under pressure. There are certain people that play along and certain people that actually have an experience. But what's happening inside of your brain when you're in hypnosis is how do we get these soldiers to go back inside of the cell? How do we change the brain? You have to slow the brain waves down. Because when you slow the brain waves down, it opens up a calcium channel that releases an enzyme and that eats the protein cement and it sucks the soldiers back inside the brain. So How do we slow the brain waves down? So if you and I are having this conversation, most of the time we're in beta and alpha. Beta is your ADD brain. Beta is like, 
I got to do this. I got this going on. Right. All over the place. So that's beta. So that might be why it's been a little bit harder for you to slip into that state. But a little bit slower is alpha. That's flow state or meditation. Meditation puts you in alpha state. It's when your brain starts to slow down. You feel relaxed. You feel focused. You're aware of your surroundings. So alpha state is the entry point for hypnosis, which is even slower than that is theta state. So you've got the slow moving brainwave pattern. And here's the really cool freaking thing is that children ages zero to six are in a constant state of theta. That's Mm. what early childhood programming is because they're in the state where the brain's architecture is malleable. And so that's why everything that children see goes in as a direct suggestion to their unconscious about what is good, bad, safe, not safe in the world. I am this, the world is that. That's all happening between the ages of zero and six. But you can get back inside of that childhood state where your brain is able to be programmed and open to suggestions by accessing hypnosis. You're going to be a good mom because you're going to make sure that you uh, you shape your kid in the most positive way possible. I hope so. But at, at, at any rate, whatever I've got, good and bad, is going to go to the kid, right? Yep. So However much I've healed from all the wounds of my past and generations before me, right? They still have to go on their own healing journey. And we are who we are because of and in spite of our parents. Most of us see the models that were given as early childhood programming. And we either say, I agree with that. And that's who I want to be. Or we say, hell no, screw that. I'm going to do the exact opposite, but it's still because of what you were given. So no matter who you are, you're going to screw up your kid. (laughs) Bottom line. That's realistic. That's realistic. I like that a lot. The hypnosis reminds me, have you seen Office Space? Yeah. When when he goes to hypnosis and that's where I feel like that guy talks like the way you just talked. I feel like maybe that might be a little bit more realistic. I kind of wish that happened to me in the way where I just like, just didn't care about a lot of stuff. Um, But yeah, I'm looking forward to that. I think we should, we should set that up and I can, we can do a follow-up episode or something. That would be really fun. Um, Now to go back into the dentistry side, you're kind of not involved anymore, right? Not as much. So I am. And I'm also, so I'm kind of on a bridge right now between two worlds. Right. And, you know, I had this, I had this experience this summer where I realized that I needed to go back to the beginning. I needed to go back and get that 13 year old dreamer and take her with me because I have unfinished business in the arts and I don't want to have any regrets in my life. My father had a lot of regrets when he passed away and I don't want that to happen to me. So I have my dental clients that I still work with. So that's, you know, that's keeping me financially sound as I'm building the bridge to this new world of returning to my roots as an artist. So cool and amazing update. I went to my first audition in 12 years. Wow. Two weeks ago. Do you still have it? How'd that go? 
it was so much fun. And that's really what I, I hypnotized myself on the way in, right? I was like, <laughs> this is going to be fun. I'm going to be relaxed. And I'm so proud of myself for having the courage to do this again. And I had a ton of fun and I booked the lead <laughs> in a new musical. Oh, that's awesome. What is uh, What is the lead's name? So her name is Marguerite. It's a musical called Turkeys. It's a holiday musical. So I play it. Thanks. Uh, yes. It's a love story that ends in a tragedy. Don't spoil it. How else would, how else would turkeys end up? <laughs> That's very true. That's very Thanksgiving true. Day. Gobble to you wobble, right? <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got the pot right there. That noise. That's fantastic. Very happy for you. Yeah, you're you're all over the map in like the greatest way possible. It's like you're a game of risk, just taking over every everything that you want to, and uh, you should be proud of yourself. That's fantastic. Um, now to go back just a little bit. So you're a little bit involved still. So what's going on December third to fifth? So we're gonna help the dental industry become more mentally well. So. During the pandemic, you know, I was locked inside and like everybody else, and I didn't have anything else to do but work. And so I went back to my overworking, burning out uh, coping mechanism because, you know, work helps to distract you from how you feel about things, or at least it does for me. And I got to a point where I knew I was burned out because every time I would get up to go to work, like I felt like a lump in my throat, like I was being trapped. I started calling my office, my cage. That's always a a good sign that you need to take a break. Yeah. Yeah. I would would assume so. (laughs) So I knew that I was depressed and I called my friends in the dental industry that I knew cared about mental health. And I I knew I wasn't the only person who was suffering. And when we went and looked at the statistics, we saw that that seven out of 10 dentists were experiencing anxiety and six out of 10 dentists were experiencing depression. And not just the dentists, but also their family members, you know, the suicide rates have, have gone extraordinarily high in young people over the past year. So we were like, well, what can we do to help? We, ha- we have to do something. So we decided that we were going to create this conference, really the first mental health conference in the history of the dental industry. Yeah, yeah. And it's, it's well overdue because there's always been this rumor that dentists have a high suicide rate and certain studies say yes and certain studies say that that's not true. But we know that dentists struggle with their mental health. And so we're putting together this family-friendly, fun uh, conference to help educate and entertain our industry to start taking care of themselves. And- yeah. That's uh, interesting because you don't really see a connection between, oh, they get forgotten about because everyone needs to be worried about is uh, dentists and mental health. You, you definitely don't hear about that. So with the suicide rate, can you, can you put a correlation to that? Any theories of, of why that could be? You know, I have a theory, but I don't know if it's ever been proven or if somebody's studied this. If you're in a research environment and you're listening, give me a call because I'd love to explore this. But dentists and construction workers are among the highest professions most likely to commit suicide. 
Now, the link that I saw between construction and dentistry is exposure to noise because dental professionals are listening to these high-speed drills all day. You know, there's a lot of noise exposure yeah. at high frequencies. And the same thing with construction workers, right? You're listening to a jackhammer all day. I believe that those sounds are dysregulating the nervous system, putting the body into fight or flight and increasing stress hormones, making that person more likely to experience trauma and anxiety and depression. I can see that because a lot of people go in, I love the dentist, but even a patient gets like nervous about that. Then the dentist has to hear that all day, every day. Um, but I like all that. I'm like getting the gums, like make just clean it. You, are you pro, you're obviously pro dentist. You like getting getting cleaned. I do. Yeah, yeah it's the best. I, I, I feel better after. I've always taken good care of my teeth ever since my orthodontic years. Yeah, I would. I would hope so. My teeth were kind of mangled as a kid. I think they're all for show now. They look nice, but I feel like they're just for show. But I love when they go in there and you have like that feeling behind your teeth. We can feel all the ridges of it. It's a, it's a different feeling. I don't know. I feel like I'm a weird guy because I love the dentist. Um, so are you, are you going to be speaking at this conference? You got, you got no anxiety talking there or what? Yeah, no, I'm uh, no anxiety. I'm just excited to connect with the industry and provide these resources. I've got an amazing team that we've built this year to, to put this on and I'm speaking, I'm going to be teaching the anti-anxiety toolkit. So I'm going to teach people how to regulate their nervous systems to overcome anxiety. And there's a lot of really cool tips and tricks that I've discovered over the years, learning about my nervous system that I'm sure going to help a lot of other people. I think, I think I just thought of a tagline for you. It's like, you got to brush the anxiety away. That's, I feel like you should use that, right? Brush the anxiety. Well, well, here's a tip. Actually, if you're feeling anxious, you can go ahead and floss your teeth because the reason that it works is when anxiety is in your brain, it's stuck in the basement of your brain. So if you were to reach behind and tap on the base of your skull, that's where your amygdala lives, right at the base of your skull. So when you're in fight or flight, all of the resources and energy are going down to the basement of your brain. But up on your forehead, if you tap your forehead, is your penthouse of the brain. That's your prefrontal cortex. That's all the best parts of you live in the front side of your brain. And so when you're in fight or flight, everything's stuck down in the basement. But there's a technique called bilateral stimulation. If you've ever heard of EMDR, where you know they they use rapid eye movements from right to left, yeah, uh, or even just going for a walk, anything to move both sides of your body, redirect that energy from that stuck place to light up other parts of your brain. So what you're doing when you're flossing is you are using both hands. So you're actually engaging bilateral stimulation. So you're lighting up the right hemisphere and left hemisphere of the brain and redirecting that stuck energy from the anxious place down in the basement back up to the penthouse of your brain, the prefrontal cortex. I've seen that with the whole tapping of the forehead. Like, So is that like a thing? I feel like that's like like woo-woo almost, like just tapping here, but it's it seems like it's legit. Yeah, tapping actually has really helped me manage panic attacks. Like I've been starting to faint and then tapped it away. And the reason that it works is it 
it short circuits your brain. It does what a hypnotist does, which it slows down the brain waves um, by tapping on acupressure points of the brain. And it's pretty impossible to stay in that anxious state when you start tapping on those acupressure points, because you're redirecting the energy to other parts of you. Now, I'm scared to uh, say this. Now, what do you think of floss sticks? I use floss sticks all the time, and I've, I've heard that they're not that great for you. What, what is your take on those? You know, I'm not a dentist, but I feel like the old tried and true dental floss is yeah. going to be your best bet. Yeah. yeah, I had a feeling that because I feel like I'm probably just pushing it down, but I love like toothpicks. Well, it, hugs, it hugs the sides of the teeth, right? You're getting more you're getting more in there into other places than yeah. just like straight up and down. I, I didn't know this too. When I was floss, I would just do it and pull it out. I, when I go to the dentist, they do the whole string through it. And I feel like that is, that is the move to do when you're doing the dentist, but you're the person to ask you work in dentistry. Like don't, don't tell you, so you're not a like dentist, but like, come on. Like, you well, must know. I have to disclaim that, right? Like I'm not yeah, getting professional dental advice. That's true. That's true. <laughs> if anything, I get, I get cancel cultured because of uh, bad dentistry information and not even like the mental health aspect. That'd be funny. Have like the dentist coalition come and shut me down. <laughs> so yeah, I'm glad. Glad you preference with that. Um, yeah, this has been a lot of fun, Holly. Um, let's uh, let's wrap up with this. And uh, I like to ask all my guests these questions. I'm a huge wrestling fan. If you were like a boxer, MMA fighter, or a wrestler, and Holly Ann Mitchell comes out, she's coming to the de- – you got to come out to this when you go to the – you're probably going to come out and be like, by the way, TED Talk speaker, no big deal. And then you come out. What song's going to play for you on your entrance? Right now, my song is Bad Out of Hell by Meatloaf because I feel like I've been like pent up, right? Like just yeah. like holding back from my true artist self. And now I've just like opened the door and that bat just like wants to fly out of hell and, you know, just take over the world, I guess. <laughs> You're the first and probably only person that throws out a meatloaf song. That is, uh, that, I didn't see that coming at all. I didn't know what you were going to bring, but that's great. You, you're, you're phenomenal. You're, if, you're you've, ph- if you've never run to that album, dude, you, I, I trained for the New York City Marathon listening to that album. <laughs> it's so because you're just like, yeah, you yeah. Just go. <laughs> I love that nonchalant. Like, yeah, I just ran the marathon. Like, wait, yeah, come on. Um, yeah, I think you've done it all. You have so much more to do. And let's wrap up with this. Let's think of three things that you're grateful for today. The puppy snoring at my feet. What type of dog and the name? French bulldog. Her name is Luna. Fantastic. French yeah. bulldogs are elite. Um, I'm grateful for my friends. I'm really excited about being in Los Angeles because all of my friends in New York emigrated to LA over the past 10 years. And now that I'm here in LA, just being close to my friends, I really have a, a, an amazing community to support me in this moment of reinvention in my life. And I'm really grateful for my health because I consider myself very lucky that I have a body that has the energy to do what I need to do every day. And uh, I don't want to take that for granted. Those are three perfect, perfect examples. Holly and Mitchell, where can everyone find you? 
You can find me on Instagram at Holly Ann, Holly with a Y and with an E underscore Mitchell, Mitchell with two L's or at hollyannmitchell.com. Spelled the same exact way. The reinvention of Holly Ann Mitchell. Great time talking with you today. You are the best. And again, I can't thank you enough. Thank you, Tim. Thanks Have a good for, one. Thanks for inviting me in and great conversation. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, I hope you had a lot of fun because I did too. And I, we got to, again, we got to set up that hypnosis uh one-on-one meeting because I have a lot of problems and we might have to record it and go over a lot. So I have a whole list. So we'll, we'll block off about two hours, but Holly, thank Holly. Thank you again. so much. That was a lot of fun. This podcast is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. If you are feeling suicidal, please dial 911.